Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hello and welcome into Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Ryan Abraham and Chris Trevino to talk USC's 38-27 win over the Notre Dame Fighting Irish in the packed Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum last night. Before we get into it, make sure if you're on YouTube to leave a like and a comment. We can put those on the screen. Same with Twitter and Facebook. Make sure you guys are following along, leaving likes and following wherever you are. But Big win for USC. They finished 11-1 and in the regular season. What were your guys' overall thoughts? Yeah, big win uh, for the Trojans. It was a crazy night in the Coliseum. It was good to see. It felt a little Pete Carroll-esque. You know, it just felt like there was a lot of energy in the building. And it was weird throughout the season because USC goes out and hires Lincoln Riley. They keep winning a bunch of games. But all the home games were sort of kind of lame or they were at 730. Nothing really felt like it was going to be a good vibe in the Coliseum. Like the, the Rose Bowl last week was great. Last night in the Coliseum, the vibe was awesome. I thought that was a, a really good crowd. Lincoln Riley really loved it. I think the players got fired up with it. You know, they took the lead early and never looked back. Uh, but that felt like more of a championship environment, Chris. I don't like your term of the use lame in the situation. I never <laughs> felt like any home crowd was quote unquote lame this year, except for maybe when they left early that one game. I don't remember which one it was off the top of my head, but I don't feel like any home crowd was lame this year. All of them were more packed than any game from last year. True. <laughs> I will say that. But, yeah, the atmosphere on Saturday was incredible. I wasn't there for the Pete Carroll era. Jack wasn't born during the Pete Carroll era. Not, so, no. I you technically, know, technically was born. He was around. How old were you? I was born in 2003. Yeah. So oh, there you go. Oh, God. So, he got the early championship. So, so you have good. to tell us the old tales of yes. what it was like in the Coliseum back yard, then. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> it was a great crowd, and all the players definitely noticed it. You know, Tuli Tupelo, too, had that great quote about, like, like no diss to our fans, but that he's never seen a crowd like that uh, on Saturday. So it was a nice little send-off to, you know, all the guys who are veterans on this team who's played a lot of games in the Coliseum. Tuli Tupelo, too, probably his last game in the Coliseum, so it was nice for him to kind of get that high ending note to end with and what a way to go out for a bunch of these guys these veterans in that game against the most complete game usc's played this season yeah i think all sides uh, all aspects the special teams it was really cool to see caleb williams get a, the longest punt of the year 58 yard punt that was good you know they did a nice job they didn't return kickoffs they just didn't screw up on the special teams aspect of it so i thought that was nice obviously the defense holding notre dame uh, to 90 yards rushing was 
something really impressive. Now yeah, you, you let um, the quarterback kind of go off and complete his first 15 passes, but then overall, and then offensively, you know, doing what kind of what you wanted, and, and you know, you could run the ball, you could throw the ball. I thought that was great, uh, but it's overall a good performance. It's been a crazy sort of weekend. We got a lot to get to get to with the. Uh, with the game, uh, what it means, who USC is playing in the Pac-12 championship game and all that kind of stuff. But I just want to let everyone know, uh, if you're not a member, VIP member to USCfootball.com, you can do it right now. Black Friday sale still going on until tomorrow night, 75% off your annual membership. You will not regret it. Just reading Chris's ghost notes, 3,000 words ghost notes from the game. You thought you saw the game. You might have been there. Until you read the ghost notes, you really don't know what was going on with all the recruits that were there, everything that was going on, on the sideline, what the players, coaches were saying. There's so much, so much good stuff. But it's for VIP members. If you're a diehard USC fan, you're watching the show on a Sunday night instead of watching an NFL game, come on. Get in there and sign up. If you're not signed up, it's 75% off for the annual membership. It is well worth it. Plus, you get the Paramount Plus stuff when you know, when the promotion's over, which that's the, the pace for your price of uh for your membership. So make sure you go check that out. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of USC fans have taken advantage of it. So I hope you guys do too. Uh, this goes away soon. You don't get this deal anymore. So we got to get in there and, uh, and get it. Plus there's a lot of recruiting news on the front page right now. You know, we have updates from two of five, two of the five-star visitors that were on campus for this game. Five-star 2024 quarterback, DJ Lagway and five-star defensive lineman, Justin Scott, USC would love to get hit on, on a big body like him out of the Midwest. So, Got a bunch of reaction from USC recruits on the board. Those two stories are up. Couple guys, more, a couple other stories from guys reacting to the game. So yeah, a lot of recruiting content right now on USPeople.com, which is VIP. So now's the perfect time to sign up. Get it. And if you're watching on YouTube, smash that like button. We got to get a bunch of likes in there. We got a whole bunch of people. I think we got like 500 people watching live. So Whoa. thanks for that. That's awesome. Whoa. We really appreciate that. I'm like two four seven it out today. I should have worn my in and out shirt since you got your Whataburger shirt. Yeah, on. we could have done like the little, like the, little yeah. battle, West Coast battle, but yeah. for Vegas, perfect for Vegas. Yeah, know? we're going. Oh, I'm, I'm going to get an in and out shirt for Vegas. If you can, you can wear that. I'll wear my in and out shirt. Uh, yeah, if you're going to be in Vegas too, we're going to have a meetup. Uh, so Jack is going to be there. Will you they let him to, in? I don't know the, where he can go. Uh, Chris, get him a fake. He's going to be there. Shotguns flying out. I will be there. Uh, it should be a great show. RJ is going to be there. RJ will so, be there. Bunch of our staff members. Thursday night, uh, Park MGM at the uh, MGM Sportsbook at the Park MGM. I think there's multiple MGM Sportsbooks, so make sure you go to the Park MGM one. We did this last time uh, for the Pac-12 Basketball Championship. But we're going to have a little meetup on Thursday night. So we might have some Utah fans there, too, because I do it for the Podcast of Champions, the oh, no. Pac-12 <laughs> Podcast. Uh, but, you know, love, you know, probably going to be mostly USC fans coming out to that one. So make sure you come out. I know I've got a bunch of people on Twitter who told me they were going to show up for that. So, yeah, we'll just grab some tables, grab some drinks, and just uh, kind of check out, watch games, whatever's going on. It'll be Thursday night, so it'll be some Thursday night football and everything. And uh, talk about the game, which will be on Friday night. Uh, Legion Stadium, if you haven't been and you're going, it's a very cool experience. Awesome stadium. It's not like as crazy big as AT&T in, in Dallas or uh, SoFi in, in LA, but it's a really cool stadium, state-of-the-art stuff. So I think you guys will have a good time if you haven't been to that one before. Haven't been. Excited to go in it, and I'm going to be shooting from the sideline. So excited to be on an NFL field to kind of see what it's like to uh, to have that experience. Yeah, I went last year for uh, Utah and uh, Oregon, and I would say to USC fans, I was there at the game last year. It was felt like a Utah home game. You don't want that. So a lot of Utah people came to Allegiant Stadium last year. So go buy your tickets. Make sure you get out there. You do not want this to be a, 
an all-red Utah takeover like it was last year. I mean, Oregon Oregon brings people, and they didn't bring anyone anywhere near as many people as Utah last year. It really felt like a home game. Well, they knew what the outcome was going to be in that game. So they yeah. were like, uh... They'd already blown them out earlier in the year. They just blew them out again. So, yeah. Well, if I'm if I'm legally able to be there at the uh, 247 meetup, I'd love to come and meet all of you guys. But let's get into the game. A win for USC that snapped a four-game losing streak to Notre Dame. There's so many things to talk about. The recruiting impact, just the actual ball game, how it sets up the Pac-12 title game. But let's start with, I think, something that was sealed yesterday fully, which might have been the Heisman Trophy race. We've got a Heisman voter in the building in Ryan Abraham. But Caleb Williams, I think, with his performance this week, locked up the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, I've been. I think it's been about ten years or so since I've been voting uh, for the Heisman Trophy. Now it's not that big of a deal. I think there's like nine hundred people that vote, but all the former winners get to vote, and then there's kind of regional like media members that get to vote, and then some. There's some random people that kind of get to vote uh, in the Heisman. But it's. I take it as a. I, I like it. I like it. I feel like it's an honor. And since I've been voting, um, you know, I would try to get West Coast representation on my ballot whenever I could, like put a Marquise Lee on there, you know, in third place or something like that. But there's really not been a USC guy that you're like, okay, this guy's got to be on there. He's a one or a two for sure. Caleb Williams is that guy. He's a one or a two. And I think with him and CJ Stroud being the two favorites and Stroud getting, you know, the Ohio State blowing out, getting blown out by Michigan, him throwing a couple more picks. And just all the plays that Caleb Williams has been able to make. And if you just look at it, like that's who people are going to be talking about. USC players talk about him. Opponents talk about him. Opponent coaches talk about him. Um, you know, big stage. When when USC gets to play Notre Dame at the end of the season, that's usually the – you get your Heisman moments and stuff out of there. You know, he had like that, what, 80-yard run or something where he's running around all over the place. Um, I think he had a special night. And he has one more chance to do this in Las Vegas, another big stage against Utah. But barring any sort of – um, you know, just collapse in the Pac-12 championship game. I do think it's his to lose right now. So he's he's definitely number one on my ballot, and I'm not even sure who's two and three yet. But uh, for me, it, we're not supposed to talk about it, but that's who would be my, you know, Caleb Williams. It's like you're, Fight Club. You're, you're not allowed to You're going to get your vote pulled, man. <laughs> I could. I haven't got, yeah, they send you like a couple emails, and uh, I think John Wilner is like our local represent, like, re- representative now. So you're giving too much information. A lot of information, yeah. Can you write in people? Like, is there a write-in portion? It's only write-in. Yeah, there's not like a oh, okay. multiple choice. It's yeah. not like a multiple choice. Okay. Right. Well, if you so don't... I'm sure people spell names wrong because you have to put the you put the name of the player in the team. You, so all you get is three spots. One, two, three. And it's like worth three points, two points, one point, something like that. Yeah. If both of you didn't think that I went home last night and I pulled up my resume and I deleted whatever's up top and I put coached a Heisman winner at the top of my resume, <laughs> then you guys don't know me at all because I absolutely did that. Because that's the performance that Caleb Williams had. And another thing you mentioned about, you know, Shroud not having the game on that stage against Michigan, Michigan blowing them out. But Caleb Williams, after last night, now has the backing of national media. You know, you have yes. all these people talking about him. What he, Stephen A. Smith, I didn't even know he watches college football, but tweeting about uh, Caleb Williams, you know, locking up the Heisman. Feinbaum said it's his. It's his Heisman trophy. So he's already got the backing of all this. The Heisman campaign they've been doing was really good. They've been hitting that over the head at the game. You know, they played his whole Heisman hype video. The crowd was getting into it, chanting Heisman, Heisman. And I kind of brought it up last week with Shotgun about not having that, I guess, Heisman moment. And I got a little flack for that. You know, people were talking about it. And I, he's pointing to himself. Uh, he posted on his TikTok too. You know, I, I gave, I saw, I gave yeah. him some content. I gave you some content, uh, Jack, to react to. But 
you know, definitely this game, this whole game felt like a Heisman moment, just what he was doing. You know, it didn't need a singular bang over the top play. It was just a death by a thousand little Heisman moments, just like these little runs, picking up yards, making these incredible throws. You know, they're not necessarily touchdowns. You know, that one where he scrambled out, almost hit Austin Jones in the hands and he kind of dropped it like yeah. that would have been the one. But he made so many plays that night. It was going to be rushing. called back. That one was going to be called back. Yeah, that back was going to be called hold. back anyway. But so it still it, was going to be like for It was going to be like a yeah. jaw-dropping play. But he had so many plays where you just take the clip and tweet, are you kidding me? That's that's all you needed with, with the kind of plays he was making on Saturday night. So, yeah, he definitely like put his foot on the throat of the Heisman race. And his to lose just needs, you know, nothing too out of the ordinary to go happen in uh, Las Vegas. But, yeah, looks like the Heisman is coming to SoCal again. And it's funny, little Heisman moment. The night before I happened to be on the USC campus, my little cousin plays uh, volleyball out uh, for Forza Volleyball Club in Temecula. And her and, and a bunch of her teammates and my my aunt and, and her mom and everything, they were all coming out to the USC-UCLA uh, women's volleyball game at Galen. I arranged to get them a tour of the John McKay Center because the nice people there. Thanks, uh, Jeremy, for, for doing that. And uh, we were walking in and some of the dads notice it's Caleb Williams on a scooter and they, you know, all the girls get a picture with him and stuff. They're like, Hey, he's going to be the Heisman winner. That was before the Notre Dame game. Super nice. Took picture with all the girls and everything. And, uh, they loved it. That was like one of the highlights of their thing. They just got to run into Caleb Williams and then they get to watch him the night, the next night and just kind of go absolutely crazy. So good, good moment for him. And we haven't even mentioned, you know, hitting the pose. Yeah. A couple of Heisman times. poses. Yeah. It's several Heisman poses. Just hitting that three times. Could you guys see that from up there in the booth? I couldn't like, tell. No. Couldn't tell? No. Okay. I thought it was interesting because I didn't feel like anyone was really tweeting about it unless you saw it maybe on the television. I don't know if they caught the first one. Definitely caught the second one because he did it right to the camera twice. Like the camera guy came over to him and he was like, yeah, make sure you get it. So <laughs> he said, you know, his teammates were kind of egging him on to do that. So he just did it. But yeah, what a cool moment, you know, hitting that first one. It was like, okay. This is a game where it's his. Yeah, he's, he's going to take it. Just a special player, and uh, you just can tell. I mean, he just, he's someone that has a lot of confidence, and Jack and I talked about this on Instant Analysis, which you should check out. It's a classic one. we got like 24 minutes of content after the game, but just he can beat you a whole bunch of different ways. It's not just, oh, I'm going to throw for 400 yards. If it's if it's a game, I'm going to rush for three touchdowns. Or he he can do things a lot of what, you know, sometimes you don't have your fastball, but he got he has a he has a lot of pitches he can go to. And I feel like that's kind of what makes him special where sometimes you have a really good quarterback and something gets taken away and they just look pretty mediocre. And he looks special no matter what you take away. You can take away something and he might not be the best at this or best at that, but he's going to find a way to win the game. And I think that's why you have a lot of confidence. And even, you know, when USC gets the rematch against Utah, like he never was, he never got down in that game. The only time they were losing is when Utah tied the game and went for two. And that's, you know, that's, and he didn't have enough time to do anything. So he, I feel like if it's at the end of the game and you're like, just like the, the the Oregon State game where he really wasn't throwing the ball that well. Well, no, final drive, he did. He found Jordan Addison. He's going to find a way to win. I think that's what makes maybe his best attribute is it's not just, oh, he's really athletic. He can escape the rush. He can throw the ball all over the field and run it across his body and throw it like this. He's just someone that's going to figure out a way to win. It's, you know, It changes every time. It's like problem solving. You're going to get to the game. You're like, oh, it's a whole different thing. I lost the left tackle or uh, my wide receivers aren't playing well. Whatever it is, figure it out. What do you, you know? Calculate what the, the the solution is, and then find a way to win the game. Whatever it is, that's what he seems like he's able to do. Will to win. Yeah, it's, an, it's like a stat you can't really measure uh, out on the field. It's just like one of those uh, measurables that you just have to 
you know, you see it when you look them in the eye or you're on the sideline or in the huddle. Will to win off the charts for Caleb Williams. Like when you're coaching them swimming back in the day. Yeah, I saw it right there. You know, <laughs> go out there, win this 50. We need these points. Boom, get it done. Yeah, if you guys don't know, Chris did actually coach Caleb Williams as a kid when he was a swimming coach. So it's kind of funny. I told you it was on my resume. I didn't make this up. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the only thing on the resume at this point. Speaking of Vegas, did you lay down a future Caleb Williams going to win the Heisman parlay or a bet like 10 years in the future? Ooh, no. That would have been good. <laughs> that would have been, I think that would have cashed out uh, pretty big. But he has 44 combined touchdowns on the season, rushing and passing. That is the number one single season uh, for a quarterback at USC. The previous record, I think, was 41, and he still has another game to go before bowl season, which is just crazy. He's been fantastic. He has the most rushing yards by a USC quarterback and single season in the last 70 years since they started tracking that stat. It's been just a miracle season for Caleb Williams for this USC offense, which they're 11 and 1 as a team their one losses by one point they could very easily be 12 and 0 heading into las vegas you mentioned ryan that caleb williams can wear a lot of hats and do things different ways that's kind of what the usc offense showed us last night they decided to switch away from their normal pass heavy attack that that won them a game against ucla towards a more rush first attack knowing that notre dame uh they wanted to slow the ball down and, and run it down their throat and they went to austin jones they went to caleb williams on the ground so a, a big shift for lincoln riley and it worked out very well it's interesting because a lot of times, you know, I thought the pace was played at, like, if you ask Notre Dame, what pace do you want this game to be played at? They would have picked what had happened last night. But USC was like, hey, they talk about us not being a physical team. We'll go play Notre Dame's game. We're going to run the ball. Austin Jones, you're going to get over 150 yards rushing. Um, boom. You know, we're going to get a running, you know, a running touchdown from Rayleigh Brown. Uh, your quarterback's going to run for three more. And, you know, we'll distribute the ball. I mean, they, I think they had like seven different pass catchers catch like three balls that no one really had a huge night. It wasn't like the Jordan Addison night against UCLA. Uh, and that's what, you know, the other thing where like he throws for 470 against UCLA and Jordan Addison goes for 178 yards, whatever it is. And this one, was just about everyone kind of caught a bunch of balls. No one was really uh, blowing it up. You weren't just, this was your go-to guy. Oh, you had a critical, you know, we haven't seen, uh, you know, um, Brendan Rice the whole game and he's been criticized for, for dropping some, you know, critical catch in that in that drive and uh, and keeps the moves the sticks and keeps the drive going. So I feel like it would this was a different kind of night and like Jack said they started to play Notre Dame's game. And I think some of it was just to show, hey, we can do this too. This isn't a we don't have to be a finesse team. Uh we can grind it out and they outrushed they more than doubled Notre Dame's uh, running output which everyone, you know, John Wilner, we had mentioned earlier I know some of the USC fans hate it and uh, Lincoln Riley gave him a little <laughs> trolling a little bit, but he said that, that Notre Dame was going to run for 850 yards on USC. He was a little off. They run for 90. So it uh, wasn't quite there. And uh, so I, I think they wanted to show that they can be a physical team, which kind of shows you something. It's not just, hey, we're going to win. We're going to win a certain way to kind of prove a point. Uh, that's pretty impressive. As someone who is very petty on Twitter, <laughs> I really appreciate petty Lincoln Riley. And he was full on petty with that uh, quote tweet of John Wilner with the fight on emoji. And he even said in the in the press conference, I'm sick and tired of hearing how they were going to run all over us. And they went out, held them to 90 yards. You know, props to that defensive front for being so physical with a team that is a immensely talented front and has guys that have played in the college football playoff. You know, those guys are not far removed from their appearance in the CFP. So props to them for stepping up and rising to the challenge. And props to Austin Jones. You know, I tweeted this out where you know, Caleb, it was it was Caleb's night, you know, oh, yeah. in the Heisman pose, locking up the, the quote unquote Heisman for uh, the season after, you know, a bunch of people faltered earlier in the day. It was his to lose, took control of it. But 
Austin Jones, like if that hadn't happened, like Caleb Williams didn't have that night, I think we'd be talking about Austin Jones for a sure. lot more. 154. Do you know that was a career high for him? You didn't. You wouldn't have known that because everyone was talking about he- uh, Caleb Williams <laughs> and Heisman's, but 154 uh, rushing yards for Austin Jones, and I felt like he never went backwards that whole night. It no. always felt like he was going forward. I was just put up my field level highlights. There were so many clips of him just dragging three guys with him, and we knew Austin was a physical runner and. To not have like you never you haven't felt like there's any been any sort of drop off with Travis Dye, you know, who was on the sideline, got rid of the scooters, rocking the crutch, but you know, just an incredible game from him and a game where they really needed to set the tone in the run game. And Lincoln Riley said that after is like this game was based on the run game. You know, if they didn't get that started, you know, things weren't gonna go their way. And just props to number six for what he did out there, grinding it out, made a catch or two. And yeah, just a just a big night for him. I think when you know when you can see what Notre Dame was trying to do, and uh, you know they did a pretty good job, I think, limiting USC's pass you know pass attack. But if it was going to be second and ten and third and ten a lot, then you could see USC punting more than they did. But when it's Austin Jones running for six yards and now it's second and four, there's a whole lot of options. They could just keep running the ball. Uh, Caleb Williams could run himself. Um, you know, and then, you know, they got in trouble that one drive where it was second and one and they end up with second and 26 yeah. or whatever it was. But for the most part, they were picking up six, seven, eight, nine yards. And when you can do that and it's second and short in an offense like this, there's so many, you can do whatever you want at that point. And Austin Jones, uh, Jack and I talked about on instant analysis where there would be sometimes a, a small crease. He really navigates through those very well. He could good body control, good vision to kind of see where he needs to get to through the hole. And then sometimes there was a wider hole. He can kind of go through with more of a head of steam. He's running downhill. And then when he gets contact, he's dragging guys with him. And that's the the four-yard run turns into eight. And you're like, that's a big deal. You know, and I thought he just ran really well. I didn't see, I got to go back and watch the tape. I didn't see any sort of issues uh, in pass protection. He kind of talked about the, you know, those. Scramble drills where it's sort of like, you know, Caleb Williams is running all over the place. He's like, you have to keep your head on a swivel. You're trying to figure out, you know, where to make the block and, and what you're doing. The offensive lineman running around, like trying to figure it out. And I think they're getting pretty good at it because they know he can just kind of go in any direction. But that's just one of those things you have to kind of keep in mind. But I thought he played a really good game. And like you said, uh, he got a couple touchdowns against UCLA. It was fun to watch that. He didn't, get, he didn't score in this one, but man, he just got the tough yards. He was the he was the the hard worker out there for USC, picking up all those yards, especially on first down, setting up the the short yardage on the other downs. It's pretty much like we've seen him have grown man runs, but he leveled up this week by being able to get skinny through the holes that weren't exactly there against uh, UCLA. Like there were bigger holes against UCLA than there were yesterday against Notre Dame. But he did such a good job, like Ryan, you said, maneuvering through the smaller holes. Because as Justin Dietrich mentioned earlier in the week, he thought the Notre Dame front seven was the best USC had faced uh, up to this point this year. And I think Austin Jones did a great job, A, running as a grown man when he got the chance. But then also, when there was less there, he made more out of it than I thought that you know most running backs in the country would. I thought he did such a great job following his blocks when they were there and then just making something out of nothing at the line of scrimmage. And he just would not go down. It was one of the great performances we've seen from the USC running back room this year. Yeah, and he's playing really, really well at a, the right time for this USC offense. And just a quick little shout out to uh, you know Coach Kyle McDonald, who you know considered one of the best running back coaches in the country when Lincoln Riley got him from Utah. We'll be facing his old team, but you know every running back in that room has made plays this season. And I know they're all talented, but you still need good coaching and props to him for getting all those guys ready and the next guy mentality uh, to step up in that room. And all those guys are playing really well. I think a lot of the guys on this team really want to get some revenge, right? And then beat Utah. 
Kyle McDonald is up there near the top of that list, I would bet. You know, he doesn't want to lose to his old team twice. Um, yeah, and it's, this is a weird situation, too, with USC playing Utah. Everyone, a lot of people were asking me, like, why aren't they playing Washington? Last year, USC would be playing Washington. They changed the – they got rid of the divisions. And the weird thing is it's like the unintended consequences. You get rid of divisions trying to get the two best teams to play in the Pac-12 championship. It doesn't matter which division they're in. Well, the divisions would have just been fine. Like you have Washington's ten and two, and USC's eleven and one. Like that's what you want to play. Uh, Utah's nine and three, but because of all the tiebreakers, they end up getting and it's it ends up being like how you did against Cal as opposed to <laughs> what you did, you know, against the the real teams because they have all these weird tiebreakers. So the unintended consequences is you change the rules to try to make it so you get a better matchup, and you probably got a worse one. Now maybe USC fans would rather play. Utah than Washington and get that revenge. I get it, but if you're the if you're like the conference commissioner, you're George Klyovkov. I think you'd rather see your two you know ten win team versus your eleven win team versus uh, you know a team that lost to a pretty mediocre Florida team to start the season. So uh, with the way Michael Penix is playing too, I mean they got thousand yards over the last two games. He's five hundred. You know, it's crazy what they've been doing. That would have been an awesome matchup to sort of see, but they changed the rules to try to make things better and they you know a better matchup and they probably. You know, unintentionally made it worse. So you're saying they pack 12 it? They totally pack 12 it. Yeah, yeah that, that that feels about right. But I know a lot of fans, I guess we're kind of transitioning into this oh, game I now. Oh, I mean to do that, yeah. But I feel like a lot of fans wanted that rematch. You know, they really wanted to get over that. One point loss is just, you know, a little bit of a splinter in their finger right now. And they just want to get rid of it. And how do you get rid of it? Will you beat Utah in the Pac-12 championship? And randomly, you know, yeah, if you know a Husky fan, you got to give them a hug. You know they gave you control of your own destiny as a Trojan fan, and then they they served you up uh, Utah by beating Washington State. I mean, Oregon did have something to do with it by dropping that one in uh, against Oregon State in uh, the Civil War. But you know Washington doing a lot of good for USC fans it, the it, last couple of weeks. It's funny that you look at you know who hates the Ducks like. Washington hates the Ducks and okay. Oregon State hates the Ducks. Yeah. Well, they had to go out and kind of combine. They were like the wonder <laughs> twin powers. Like Oregon State's like, we'll go beat uh, Oregon in the Civil War. And Washington, you go win the Apple Cup, and then that will knock Oregon out of the Pac-12 championship. We'll send Utah. So it was weird when we were like in the press box and people are like, so who's USC going to play? Well, it depends on the Apple Cup. Also, Washington get in? No, they can't get in. But if they win, they send or Utah. And so it's there's really weird Pac-12 situation. I mean, for Utah to get in, you needed – uh, first of all, UCLA to beat Cal Friday night, which happened. Then you had to have, um, you know, Oregon State beat Oregon. Oregon's still alive in that case. You know, they could still make it. Uh, Utah had to, you know, beat Colorado, which that was not going to be a big deal. But then it came down to the Apple Cup, which makes absolutely no sense. But there it is. Washington wins. It creates that three-way tie of all of them, seven to two. And then the fourth tiebreaker or whatever means that Utah goes in. So it's, it's pretty dumb. Like what the strength of schedule is, like literally, like how you played against Cal early in the season. That's what's going to determine who goes to the Pac-12 championship. You probably just flip a coin or something, but whatever. That's the last thing. Yeah. <laughs> but Washington should have just beaten Arizona State. Yeah. Unbelievable that Washington lost to Arizona State. Like they are bad too. So it kind of feels like 2016, where Washington went to the Pac-12 title game. I think it was Colorado. USC was just waiting in the wings, hoping for a Washington win that would knock Colorado down the rankings, and USC was waiting for a Rose Bowl bid when Washington made the college football playoff. I feel like that's the position Washington's in now, the position USC was in in 2016, where if USC ends up beating Utah and they go to the college football playoff, Utah probably falls down the rankings, and Washington, despite not making the conference title game, would potentially have a Rose Bowl bid. They did everything right down the stretch of the season 
season. They just ha- it's hard to combat when you when you lose a game to Arizona State, who ended up what were they three and nine at the end of the year? I think they're f- they might have been four and eight. I think three and nine or four and eight. But yeah, that's uh, for for Washington. Yeah, USC. There there's only one school in the Pac-12 that's not USC that's rooting for USC in this championship game, and that's Washington because <laughs> they're going to get into the the the, uh, Rose, the Rose Bowl. Bowl. Uh, they'll definitely get in. Not definitely get in, but the, you can tr- the Rose Bowl can pick, but they will pick Washington. In that scenario, and it was funny in 2016 when Jack mentioned USC doesn't go to the Pac-12 championship game, but they beat Colorado, who won the division, and they beat Washington, uh, who won the North Division. So USC beat both teams that were represented in the Pac-12 championship, and then you know they were the better team, and they end up going to the Rose Bowl. That's the exciting uh, Sam Darnold um, craziness uh, against Penn State, Saquon Barkley, and all that kind of fun stuff. So. Uh, yeah, so they can kind of do Washington a solid here by you know beating Utah, but you know make no bones like the the conference would probably like USC to win because they would like to get someone into the college football playoff. But if you're like a random you know like Stanford fan or Cal fan or something or Arizona State fan, you're like I don't want to see USC do good. So I think everyone else will be rooting for Utah except Washington, who can benefit and uh, head to the Rose Bowl, which I think they deserve. I mean, ten and two. Yeah, I think yeah it's a great season. Get them in uh, there, Kalen DeBoer. Really nice job, uh, what he was able to do in his first year. I mean, Lincoln Riley, him, you know, those two guys, I think you have to look at being coach of the year. Jonathan Smith, too, I think he's done a tremendous job. But I I would still give it to Lincoln Riley just because, you know, people look at, well, it's USC, they have more to deal with. But you have to look at, was it 4-8? Washington was 4-8 last year, 10-2, that's great. USC was 4-8 last year, 11-1. So I think you beat them. Like, you started from kind of the same ground zero or whatever at the 4-8, you know, terribleness. And then go forward. So yeah, I, I would give it to, to Riley. I think I have a vote in the Pac-12 one. So we'll see. You got to vote in everything. You're voting on American Idol. Stop the spoiling voice. all your votes. Yeah, yeah. No, they might. Um, so for those stuff that they might have the coaches vote themselves. I think the team might. I don't know if we have the media vote on that. I'll have to see. Um, but yeah, I vote. I vote on like the Pac-12 players of the week and all that. Yeah, kind of get stuff. in your vote group chats and see what uh, what's going on. Let's see what's going on over there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the defense before we get fully into the sure, Utah yeah. talk. I, uh, I like derailing Jack sometimes. I, I, do, I do it on purpose. But Utah's not till Friday. The defense was only one day ago. <laughs> you mentioned the fact that Notre Dame only rushed for 90 yards, and you mentioned that some people thought Notre Dame was going to run for 800 yards coming into the game. It just simply was not the case. Kalen Bullock, when asked about it after the game, said they expected Notre Dame, thought that they were going to be able to out-physical them, and he said that the USC was just not going to let that happen. And for the second week in a row, they did a pretty good job stifling one of the better run offenses in the country first it was UCLA this week it's Notre Dame they end up outrushing Notre Dame 204 to 90 I thought it was a pretty good performance by the defense again struggles with the tight end they allowed Drew Pine to start I believe 15 of 15 through the air but you're able to stop the opponent's strength that is a positive they forced two turnovers again I thought overall collectively the best game that USC has played this season as a whole and then on defense I thought this is one of their better marks I think so too I mean this Notre Dame was pretty one-dimensional but Drew Pine, you know, they looked at, you know, as the backup that's just sort of like a game manager. He was balling out there. So you got to give him credit. You know, like sometimes guys play well. Like Jack Plummer for Cal pretty much hasn't had a great game, except he played pretty well against USC. He played well against UCLA Friday night, too. But I feel like I had the same sort of vibe where USC was sort of taking something away and uh, he was hanging in the pocket. He, he was getting hit. Like there was, he had to make some plays. So I felt like, that, you know, sometimes opponents just play well. I thought he played pretty good. But, you knew what Notre Dame wanted to do, and it's got it's going to frustrate you when you can't do it. So it was funny to see USC sort of playing the slowdown game. They're going on these longer drives, 
run of the ball, 10 plays, things like that. And Notre Dame was trying to score quickly because they were down. And it was when you're playing, doing something that you don't feel comfortable doing, yeah, you might be able to like execute it for a little while, but you're just you're just never feeling like that's where you're going to be. I think the same thing was happening this, you know, way early in the season to Stanford. You remember that when Stanford was down and they were trying to come back? It's just at the end. You, you can't just keep doing it, you know? Like, it just felt like they got kind of gave up at some point. Like, okay, we're, we're just not going to keep up, so we're just going to go back to doing what we do. I feel like, you know, Notre Dame was, was doing a pretty good job with that, but it just was going to be out of reach. You know, USC's defense gets a three and out to start the game again, so it's two weeks in a row, both rivals. You get a three and out, which they've not been known for forcing a lot of three and outs, but you get that one early, and the offense is clicking. That's saying something. Now, it didn't happen in the Rose Bowl. The offense wasn't clicking yet, but the offense was early on. So you get a two-score lead uh, early on, and now it's like now Notre Dame's playing catch-up. And, uh, and I think that's just – that's what the defense did. It wasn't a perfect performance, but you took away a strength of what your opponent's going to do and make them play out of their comfort zone. And it's just going to be hard to do that for 60 minutes and try to keep up with Caleb Williams and Austin Jones and all those guys. Right. Take away their bread and butter – and then make them put the ball in Drew Pine's hands. If you're going to lose this game, you you take your chances with Drew Pine having yeah. to be the guy to make those plays. And credit to him, he did have an incredible start to the game. Uh, you know, no incompletions for 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 the most part. And imagine if Pine wasn't hitting every mark down the field. Like, yeah. what would the score be then? You know, they were only keeping pace because Drew Pine was putting in this incredible effort to get the ball in the wide receivers' hands and Michael Mayer's hands and. You know, credit to Michael Mayer, and I think they did an okay job on the tight end. It wasn't a Dalton Kincaid type performance. He didn't get the yards after contact. He didn't get the yards after contact, which is what was killing them uh, yeah. in the Utah game. You know, he did score two touchdowns, two impressive touchdowns, but that's a first round pick. That's the number one tight end that's going to be drafted uh, come April. So you knew he was going to make some plays. You know, I thought they did an okay job, all things considered. You know, relative to what they did against you or covered Dalton Kincaid. It was a great, great effort. Uh, but yes, it was the yards after the contact. They were getting him down to the ground. They weren't letting him bust off an extra 10 yards, an extra 15 yards, an extra 5 yards, all those things. So in that regard, they did do a really good job of getting him to the ground, which is something Alex Grinch you know, joked about earlier in the week. It's like, uh, we got to tackle him when he gets the ball. And hey, <laughs> maybe that wasn't a joke. Maybe it was just a coaching point. Tackle him when he gets the ball. And they did that. That was true. They did. <laughs> yeah, he... He's a, he's a good he's a good tight end and USC's going to see another one uh, Friday you know in Utah someone they're familiar with uh, maybe you have a similar game plan you know and I I like the way USC's playing right now compared to where they were you know playing against Utah and Utah's probably not playing as good as they were so I you got your chance but it's a, it's it's a good opportunity a team likes to run the ball um, a team that likes to use their tight end it might be a good sort of warm up Jack for this defense that they got to see Notre Dame and you're going to go roll right into Utah in the next one this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, and Ryan and I talked about this off-air after instant analysis last night. But I think in college football, unless you're one of the elite defenses in the country, it's really hard to take away both the run game and the pass game of a given offense. I think the USC defense so far this year, outside of a couple games, has done a good job taking away at least one side. So in this game, they took away the run, and then they just forced Drew Pine to pass. And I think they know that it's going to be hard for, if they only the other team only has one side of the ball, it's going to be hard for them to beat Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley's offensive output. Now, Utah through the air with Dalton Kincaid and Cam Rising going 16 of 16 for almost 250 yards. They were able to outduel Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. But for the most part this season, I think USC's done a good job at taking away one side of the offense and knowing that the, the USC offense will be able to put up enough points to simply outlast the other team. I think you look at the Cal game and yesterday night's game as big examples where two good rushing offenses, USC dedicates completely to take away the run. It worked better against Notre Dame than it did against Cal. Uh, and then obviously you have better passing days from Jack Plummer and Drew Pine than expected, but still it wasn't enough to outduel Caleb Williams. And I think that for a team that has such a great offense and has some defensive playmakers, but not the best defense in the country, that's a pretty good way to look at it. And I think you come into this Utah game, they're probably going to look to do the same thing. And with Utah having Cam Rising possibly a little bit banged up, can't run as much. Tavion Thomas is already done for the year. He's declared for the NFL draft. You probably don't have to commit as much to the run as you did in the first matchup yeah i think you're right and i think i feel like you know this is such a mental game uh we're this is being played by uh you know kids right i mean 18 19 20 years old guys like jack's age you know and it's like there's a lot of stuff going on with school and everything and it's hard i think to keep in the game and it's it's like pushing this rock up the hill and have to do it over and over again and just mentally being able to stay in it one of the things that USC just doesn't do when you're playing defense against Caleb Williams, yeah, it's it discouraging. I mean, it's demoralizing um, for a, you know for a defensive lineman. And I think um, Shotgun was tweeting with uh, Antoine Woods, uh, you know, the US, former USC uh, defensive lineman. He tweeted something about like, what's it like chasing a quarterback like that? He just said like, exhausting. Like it's really tough. Uh, but it's not just that. It's not just he's so he can escape and and you're moving and picking up first downs, moving the ball down the field. When you're playing, they never turn the ball over. I mean, he's got 44 touchdowns and three turnovers, three interceptions on the year. I mean, that's there's just not you know USC gets like a gift turnover when Drew Pine bubbles the, the the handoff or whatever, and it's just you jump on it. Like USC didn't have any plays like that all year. They didn't lose a fumble at all. So when you're never getting the ball back at all, you have to force a punt, which they just don't punt that much. I think it's just a lot to ask of a defense to kind of do the same thing over and over and over again without getting some of those quick scores. Like when I'm playing volleyball and it's just like, man, I'm tired. I got to get a side out. The guy misses a serve. It's just sort of like a freebie. Like, oh, thanks. Okay, now I can go back and serve. You're not getting freebies. Like the USC is not giving you any freebies. They're not fumbling the ball. They hardly ever turn the ball over. You always have to account for where Caleb Williams is. They can run the ball. Any receiver can go off at any minute. It's, it's, I think it's a lot for an opposing defense to sort of like keep your head in the game and go you know, time after time after time knowing that you're probably not getting the ball at all because they just never turn the ball over. I, I, think, I think it would be mentally exhausting. And were you, were you setting up to make a point about USC's defense and that they're really good at not getting discouraged as easily? Because they've given up a lot True. of plays. Yes. Yes. You know, DTR, you know, Jaden Delora, 
Jack Plummer is in that conversation. Too but they know that play's going to come. They know the big play is going to come at some point, right? Like, yeah, they're just kind of hanging around, and they don't always get discouraged. They're really good at having that kind of short memory and coming back at you, even though maybe you just drove 90 yards on them. Yeah. Okay, the next play they're going to come out, they're going to get a sack, fortune uh, third and long, and then they're going to get a pick. So they're just very good, it seems like, of staying with it, even if they're they're you know they're not at their best. They, they can be beaten up a little bit, but they're going to come back and swing just as hard. They're very good at staying engaged, kind of with the kind of the opposite of your point where sometimes it's very demoralizing. They don't get demoralized. No. Uh, they can get demoralized, but it seems like they're very good at you know bouncing back from that. Yeah, they sort of know, like, oh, we're going to eventually get – and it was funny when, when uh, Notre Dame fumbled that ball and they were going in. I almost tweeted something that was like, this is sort of that zone where oh, maybe they're going to run a 25-yard you know run in for a touchdown or – there's a turnover, you know, and really, like, the next play, the fumble, and then uh, Raylan Goforth jumps on it. You're just like, you just kind of get a feel sometimes, like, this is sort of where they're going to get a turnover, and then they do. I wonder know? if it, I wonder if it's like a self-fulfilling pro- prophecy with offenses. It's like, okay, it's like the number one turnover margin team in the country. They have, like, 900 turnovers. Yeah. We can't turn it over, and then you force a turnover <laughs> just because you're thinking about it. If I'm on the defensive line, I'm like, you guys ready to turn it over? Yeah. You guys ready to turn it over? That would be my trash talk. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of not getting demoralized, you had Corey Foreman talking after the game about how he was upset with himself after missing Drew Pine on a sack. I think it was on a third and two. He ends up getting about one and a half yards. And you're thinking Notre Dame's offensive line, it's fourth down and half a yard. There's no way they don't convert this on USC. Instead of being demoralized that they didn't sack Pine uh, and force a punt, they stop him on fourth down and pretty much half a yard. Like that is something we haven't seen from the USC defense in past years, something that hasn't come as often this year. But when they needed a big play, they got some big stops. You look at a three and out forced on the first opponent offensive drive for the second week in a row. Shane Lee shooting through the gap to stop a lateral run. Uh, And then you had that big fourth down stop and a couple others, including the Kalen Bullock pick at the end to pretty much seal the game on defense. I just thought, you know, when USC needed the plays from the defense, it happened again. Sure, it wasn't the prettiest game, but I think when you have an offense that's going to put up 35 to 45 points a game, you... These these kind of defensive performances should be considered among the good ones. Yeah, you can take chances, and I think the defense has got better at being aggressive, but in a smart way. They're not, you know, there's going to be some busts, and they might, you know, uh, not contain one side and let a quarterback kind of take off and run or whatever. But for the most part, I think they've been forcing the action at the line of scrimmage, like you mentioned on that fourth down play. Like they're they're taking some aggressive lines but not necessarily giving up you know, this huge gap uh, behind it. So I think they've been kind of smarter with the aggression and, and really forcing uh, the opposition to do something different. You know, The fact that you could take away, you know, to keep Notre Dame as a team under 100 yards, pretty impressive. You know, and they missed some sacks too. Like Drew Pine got away from a couple of those. I know Eric Gentry couldn't believe it, the one that, that uh, he didn't get the sack when he was like tripping on the ground and grabbed his legs and Pine like kind of flipped it out there, but there's a bunch of plays like that. So I, I but I, I like the way they were being aggressive and forcing the opponent, you know, forcing Notre Dame to try to make a big play. And they, they made some big plays for sure, but you were making, there wasn't going to come as easy as maybe we've seen it happen for other opponents earlier in the year for USC. And let's note that the return of Eric Gentry, you know, that was big. Did, didn't play at, uh, very much essentially against UCLA. Did not look right. You watch the tape. He's definitely, you know, not 100%. Pulled him out like, let's not, you know, he can't be out there. You know, that's that's a disservice to him. That's a disservice to the team of, of keeping out there. He's not, he's not fully ready. But coming back here, I, I wasn't really sure what, how much he was going to play. Was it going to be a similar week? Like, where they try him and go and he's not ready? But there he is. 
out there making plays. He was all over the field, you know, you know, covering uh, Mayer and that, that incomplete over the middle. Uh, almost had that sack, like you said, flying around making tackles with those long arms. He had like nine tackles. In the yeah, game. He led the team with nine tackles, and he was just awesome in his return. And that's a guy, you know, maybe they were talking about maybe have him back for the Pac-12 championship, sit him for this game, but it looks like they decided, you know, let's run with him. And they didn't play him full-time. He was still kind of splitting a little bit, but he was so effective, and guys were just really happy to have him back. When I was down there on the sideline, it felt like earlier season Eric Gentry when he's all up in the huddle, you know, sweat <laughs> dripping down his face, super energetic, just a vocal leader. And that's kind of something that was missing. You know, I know he's on the sideline, but, you know, it's different when he's in sweats, you know. Yeah. It's different when he's not out there in the huddles and stuff. So he was very fired up. Good to see that emotional, hyped-up Eric Gentry again. That gives the defense another gear, I think. And, yeah, he, he said he felt great. It felt fun to be back out there. and He was having a good time. So sounds like Eric E.G., back fully and yeah you know though he'll get his return against back a, 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 he can come back against utah you know a game that where he was injured initially yeah it was bouncing around and uh i think he really wanted to play that i mean he's familiar pac-12 south you know playing at arizona state and uh he made a big difference and i really didn't think if he was going to play it was going to be that big of a difference i thought maybe you'd save him for the championship game or whatever but man it it mattered that he was out there. And it's just, it's not just his play, but the energy. He brings something different to the table. And I think having that rotation, when he comes in there and you get the spark, you're like, wow, okay. And he's using those long arms all over the place and, you know, tripping guys up. There was one play, it looked like it was going to go for a big run. And he got the guy, I don't know if it was in the backfield, but it was a short gain. And it looked like there was wide open afterwards. And I don't know if other people on the team make the tackle. But I felt because Notre Dame was a run team that maybe you don't need. You know, a, a Shane Lee would be fine, like kind of run stopper guy. It's not guy. the best kind of matchup. Shane Lee's a thumper. You know, Eric is so very long, you know, not the heaviest guy. So maybe you're worried to get out physical with those guys, but no, he, no. he, he shut it down. He made a difference. I think yeah. I mean, if without him, I don't think they keep Notre Dame to a hundred yards, uh, you know, under a hundred yards rushing for sure, which I didn't, I wouldn't have said that going in, but he, he did make a big difference. And this is just a small note that I wanted to hit on about Eric Gentry, you know, after one of his last questions was about getting these wins against rival teams. And I thought it was interesting that he said, these were games that we lost last year. He wasn't on the team last year, but yeah. he still said we lost last year. <laughs> so I, I just think it's a small thing about, you know, how this team has bonded and how they're they're all in on each other and in that locker room. You know, saying we now, you know, they lost last year. It's it's they're, they're all Trojans. So. Yeah, his his team last so Arizona State was I think eight and five last year. Arizona State's three and you're right, Jack, it was they're three and nine this year, so pretty bad. Uh so he went for you know, he avoided the four and eight at USC. And then he avoided the three and nine at ASU, and he's got eleven. He's a winner. One. Yeah, what you're saying. Now, he's he... his, now he's playing his first Pac-12 championship, which he was excited about. Yeah, no, he's he's someone you could tell like he knows the Pac-12, and just going from one Pac-12 school to another, he brings some of that with him, and uh, he, he you know he understands. I think he wanted to play Utah more than Oregon, um, you know, just because of like the, the you know he's familiar with them. He played them and. Yeah, I, I asked him that, you know, it's like I said, hey, is there a part of you that wants the rematch with Utah? And he kind of looked at me. I was right in the middle. He kind of <laughs> kind of looked up, kind of smiled, kind of reassessed himself. And he was like, had a smile, kind of stifled a laugh. And he was like, I'm happy to be playing the Pac-12 championship. Yeah. You could tell, I, I think he really wants Utah. And a lot of these guys want Utah, but they're just kind of giving the, the company line. We don't care who it is. We will we'll play anybody in the Pac-12 championship. Yeah. But I think we didn't I, know at the time. We didn't. Yeah, know we didn't know at the time. Yeah. At the time, you know, Washington was still trying to uh, gut out that Apple Apple Cup win. But yeah, at the time, didn't really know. But 
don't have to know anymore. It's it's Utah. Yep. There's one more player I want to highlight on the defense before we move on to a couple other things, and that's Kalen Bullock. I think it's been so easy to just look at every pick he has this year. It's like, oh, yeah, that's Kalen Bullock. But he stepped up last year, became a freshman All-American just like Eric Gentry, and this season he's continued to be one of the better safeties in the country. He has five interceptions now on the year, which is the most for a Trojan since Adoree Jackson. Also had five in 2016. USC has, as a team, the most interceptions they've had since 2005. I think they've got 19 this year, and they had 22 back in 2005. But Kalen Bullock has been uh, bringing the pain at free safety all season long. He steps in front of the Drew Pine pass to really seal the game. And I feel like he's been, outside of Tuli Tuli Pelotu, the USC's best player on defense this year and someone who I think deserves some credit this week for everything he's done this season. Are you referring to Kalen Bullock that couldn't even get a Pac-12 honorable (laughs) all-a-mention nod? I mean, I was disgusted at that. Five months ago, I'm still disgusted at it now and how ridiculous it looks right now. But, hey, five picks, playing really, really well. I knew he was going to have a good year, and I have no idea why he couldn't get an honorable mention vote. It's four votes. You just need four votes to get on there, and he couldn't even get that. Like, freshman All-American, are you kidding me? I don't think I got the vote for that. I think they were – I was The one vote you don't don't vote for. No, they like I wasn't on the list like earlier or something happened or whatever. They had to like re-add me. They they, they did. I'm fine. So I get the vote every week now. But yeah, he's has been he's been special um for USC. You can, I think it's more for this defense. It's not gonna be about they're grinding out, getting three and outs every time. You're gonna you need guys that can make plays. And he's just gonna come in, he makes a big play there, reads the quarterback's eyes. You know, there was some pretty good pressure, kind of force them off uh off schedule, and then he goes out and makes the play you need to make. And I think that's where this defense, when they're going to be effective, it's just going to be guys making plays. Is it Thule getting two and a half sacks or Caleb Bullock getting a pick or Eric Gentry knocking a couple balls down? Whatever it is, they need their playmakers to go out and make plays. So on a night when you do that, when you night when you have your leader at safety come out and make a pick and really change the, you know, the momentum of the game, I mean, that's a big deal. So, yeah, he's he's been special for USC this year. And not to open up old wounds, he should have six interceptions. Going back to the Utah game, yep. the play that a lot of USC fans want to point to, which is, I think we all agreed, probably not the right call on a roughing the passer call, was on a Kalen Bullock end zone interception, which would be six, which would give him more than Dory Jackson had in 2016. So I think we can put a little asterisk by the five <laughs> and say that we expect one more to be added at the end of the year for uh, for what we watched in that game. Yeah, Still got another game, though. Yeah, can, can, get, it it. Back, can get it back against Utah. Get another one. He definitely can. Let's talk about two more things before we get to questions. Okay. First, I'm going to go to the special teams. And, Ryan, there was a comment that uh, a while back now saying, did they make you the special teams coordinator? Because not a single kickoff return by USC. They let each one go for a touchback. They actually had some pretty decent kick coverage against Notre Dame. And the point I want to bring up most, Notre Dame came into this game with the best punt block team in the country. They had seven blocked punts, which led the nation. No, and Lincoln Riley put Caleb Williams out there as the punter twice instead of putting the punt team out there. So he limited something that could have changed the game for Notre Dame, kept them off the field the entire game by converting on third downs and then in the two punting scenarios, decided to make it look like the USC was going to go for it, then pulled Caleb Williams back to pooch punt, one of which was the longest punt of the year by USC. Just, uh, I'd never thought of that as a possibility. I was looking at seven block punts for Notre Dame coming into the game thinking this could be something that could really alter the the, the path of this game, could give Notre Dame a couple extra possessions Lincoln Riley made sure that didn't happen for sure and uh, I'm not uh, just to to set the record straight I am not USC's new special teams coordinator okay maybe I sat in a few meetings maybe we had you know a a little 
you know, white, Zoom calls. whiteboarded a little bit. You know, we came up with some plans. No, uh, certainly not. But I do like the plan where they were sort of uh, they weren't doing the kickoff return stuff, which was great. But I, Notre Dame was kicking the ball pretty deep anyway, so it wasn't like you had a lot of decisions there. But both of those punts, it was cool and it was here. It was fun to hear uh, from Jordan Addison talking about it. Um, you know, he said they could have, you know, they could have downed the first one, the 58 yarder. They just didn't get down uh, in time for that one. By the second time, then you're like, okay, he's probably going to back up and punt it because you've seen it once already. But, um, you know, they, they, Addison was asked about it. And he said, yeah, we hadn't really practiced that, but Caleb Williams practiced it this week. Um, so it's one of those things where, like, if he can do it, you know, th this was a plan coming in. Like, they let him practice it because they wanted to do that. It's funny, the second punt, looked like it was very returnable and uh the guy just did a fair catch and you know you got a bunch of like wide receivers down there trying to tackle you so i don't know why you wouldn't want to try to return that if it's an offense out there that's kind of running it but they didn't but so both were effective i think you you did what you needed to do you eliminated a huge momentum changing play and a punt block and uh yeah i give I've lincoln riley and the, the the team credit for coming up with that was it that was a wrinkle on special teams kind of special teams that we hadn't seen before hey i think there are a couple wide receivers on the kickoff unit Okay. So let's give them a little credit. And also, I don't want Kyle Ford tackling me. He's going to pick me up and throw me uh, shot put style. He's a big dude, yeah. Uh, or volt. What is it called? For the, the hammer? Uh, hammer, yeah. Ham yeah. You're going to hammer throw me into the stands. Yeah, I don't want that. I don't want that tackling me. Um, I know there's a lot of rumors. You're clearing up rumors. There's a lot of rumors for me being, you know, <laughs> I was a former punter and I have my coaching connection with Caleb Williams. That they oh, brought me been. in to teach him how to punt. No, I, I'm going to shut those down right now. That did not happen. They did not bring me in to help him punt. Yeah. Who was what, I forget who it was. Someone else said that they were um, having a competition. Was it, it might have been Jordan Addison. Like it a was Addison saying that. He competition had, with him. Yeah. In, like, yeah. So he, I think he felt he was a better punter. They wanted to have like a kickoff sure. in practice. Yeah. Well, he also think I think he thought that he might have been able to throw a better pass than Mario Williams on that trick play in yes. the end zone. He said he was the backup quarterback uh, in case Mario Williams wasn't able to to go make that throw. It didn't end up working out for USC, but you saw Lincoln Riley getting pretty creative in this one. It worked out on the first drive. Didn't work out there when they got to the two yard line, then back to the five yard line. But definitely some unique play calls. I think Lincoln Riley showing there's a lot more in that playbook, and I'm sure we'll see a lot of it in Vegas and then in whatever bowl game USC gets to. Before right. we get to questions, the last thing Real I want quick, to talk Jack, about. Jack, remember yeah. we. The people were asking, like, are they saving anything? Are they saving anything? We saw some trick plays there, so I guess they saved some stuff. I think they absolutely did, and they saved it for the biggest Coliseum crowd that we've seen this year. I think we can go just like we did last week at the Rose Bowl all around and talk about what we thought of the atmosphere because it was a rocking Coliseum. Chris, you were on the it, field. Why don't it, you start? Was, yeah. it was pretty fun. I mean, I think that was the first thing that comes to mind, and I think I tweeted it in the first quarter on that first drive. You know, the Coliseum is alive right now i mean that lake mccree hurdle almost in exact same spot where dory jackson hurdled yes. the notre dame defender on the sideline on that return and just like blew the top off the coliseum almost exactly the same spot and you know the crowd was in from the get and then you know the taj washington touchdown you know caleb finding that extra time fire drill finds taj jukes him out dives in just deafening at that moment you know i had someone behind me say their jaw dropped you know at hearing the noise how loud it was so he willed himself into that he end willed zone. himself in the end zone he said he saw one-on-one -on -one he was like i'm getting in so he you know willed his way in you know opened the seal on this game and the crowd responded in hand and it was it was pretty darn loud down there you know they were loud 
uh, when Notre Dame's offense was out on the field, you know, making it tough for them with with all the cheering, and the the guys loved it. They loved that env- environment. They talked about it after the game, and yeah, what a crowd to be at. And I tweeted after before going in, you know, while I was sitting in traffic for like twenty minutes, like you have no excuse if you're a local USC fan to not be in this game. You know, if you go to games, you know, this is the one you have to be at to show out for, especially with that stacked of a list of recruited recruits in the building. There was dozens upon dozens of recruits at this game, and you know. They uh they they showed out so hats off to the fans and if you were there hats off to to you because you you made that place loud you made that place jump in you made that place alive yeah for sure and just even getting there I think we got there about three hours early me and Shotgun and we were trying to get there a little earlier and it was long lines to get into the parking structures and it was yeah so sometimes you get there oh three hours that's plenty um there was a lot of people there and I feel like that was a big deal uh, that they had that many people out there and the you know in the environment and we got to actually see. Maybe stare at the recruits or see the recruits a little longer than what we would have anticipated. Stare at the recruits. Or just like they were there, like next to us when we're getting off the field, waiting to go into the locker room because there was a medical emergency and they had the, the tunnel blocked off for a uh, uh, an ambulance. So the whole group of recruits were kind of sitting there waiting and like you know, come up and say hello. We saw former players or like Christian Rector came up and said hi and a bunch of former players there like Willie McGinnis and whole bunch of dudes but yeah there's people just kind of hanging out waiting for the tunnel to clear out and the recruits are wearing these huge medallion things with like a big jewel they have, on they them have and the stuff. new uh badges out yeah giant head of a trojan the trojan this basically this yeah with like a big medallion on and everything plated so they're gold plated medallion so they they the recruiting staff annie hansen running around she's, all over the field you know they did a good job of she's crushing it yeah, yeah she was crushing it and you know shout out to all the staff because they could not handle you know i think she tweeted like a thousand recruits and their families and people connected with them were coming to this game so they definitely it took a village to uh get that all done (laughs) yeah but it was it was a really good environment i'm glad to see it i think that's what lincoln riley wanted to see and i feel like it can build momentum for next year uh maybe get some better kickoff times people you know there's a proven product now they'll be potentially defending pac-12 champions and all that kind of stuff so yeah i think uh, winner you could have a Heisman winner on the field, like Heisman winner, Caleb Williams, our quarterback. You know, that, that's pretty cool if you can have that. So, yeah, I think I think it's good. Obviously, going 11-1 is really good. I mean, that's, you know, more than – better than anyone expected. Uh, but you're kind of you, – it's something you can build on through, the you know, recruiting, transfer portal stuff, and then, of course, you know, next year. And I think you're going to see season tickets go up, you know, season ticket sales and all that kind of stuff and more fans out there. So get a better base to kind of start with. And in bigger games, you get bigger crowds and things like that. So, yeah, I, I think it was really good. I just want to say, I think we have over 1,000 people watching right now, which is yes. insane. Thank you so much on YouTube. I actually did a share, like Twitter. I did a couple tweets just because we were in like the nines, 900. So I wanted to get us over 1,000. Thank so you. I might have like artificially. Smash uh, that like button. You've got like 200 likes. likes. There's 1,000 people you online, only 200 likes. So get in there and smash that like button. There's all a little, um, like a little bell thing if you want a notification whenever we go live because we do a bunch of live shows. So right. click that little bell. You're scaring them away. Yeah. No, don't, don't do the pitch too much. I think I think Chris <laughs> said if we got above 1,000 people, he'd get another tattoo on Ooh, the other leg, 1K. I love it. I had someone come up to me who was like, I got to know, is the 10K real? That's That person's in the chat. They, oh, really? They left a comment saying, oh, really? I'm that guy. Oh, really? Nice. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I was like, bam. He tweeted Look it out. Yeah. He could have, uh, did he? No, you tweeted oh, it. Oh, oh the, the image, yeah. Yeah, yeah you yeah, tweeted but, the image. Maybe it was just a, a really good henna tattoo. Or Photoshop. Yeah. Or Photoshop. Uh, but yeah, it's real. And I also signed an autograph for someone's hat. So I want to give a shout out to uh, Phil, too, because we were at, uh, was uh, at, when I took um, the my cousin and her 
family members and their teammates to, uh, you know, we were walking to Heritage Hall. I was kind of giving them a little tour myself before they came in. And Phil, this guy, Phil, comes right up to me and says, hey, man, can I take a picture? And all my, you know, my cousin and friends are like, what, what, like, are you a big deal or something? I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. And so we get a picture and everything. That was kind of cool. And you found him on Craigslist? I did. <laughs> You're like, hey, I'm going to be here. Same, same person left that, that review on our podcast. But yeah, yeah. but that, that was, that was kind of funny. That's, those, those are funny moments. So yeah. we, we love interacting with the fans. And when we're walking around, I'm sure you get it when you're like taking video and walking around the crowd and people yell down from the stands and stuff and they love the show. So we appreciate all that. Thank you for, for the love from that. It makes us feel great. Someone, someone commented, Chris, 10K, 1K, Trevino. I like that. I think that's got more of a ring to it than just a 10K. But uh, yeah, speaking on the Coliseum, you had tons of fans. The recruit section feels like it took up the entire side of the bowl, uh, bigger than we had seen for most of the year. Tons of celebrities uh, roaming the sidelines as well. Former players, you had Snoop Dogg come out earlier this week with an endorsement of Caleb Williams, calling him Friday the 13th, which is, I think, the new coolest Caleb Williams nickname. But just I feel like there's a lot of good, good vibes around USC football right now. It seems like the city is accepting them a little bit more considering that they went undefeated in Los Angeles. They went 8-0 in Los Angeles, 7-0 in the Coliseum. So I think you're right. A kind of win like this to close out the season with two straight rivalry wins in LA means that I think fans are going to be a little bit more active at the Coliseum next year and we'll see what they can do in the postseason this year. But let's get to some questions. Yes. The first one, any word on the Andrew Voorhees injury? Definitely concerning and I don't think we got one after the game. So do you guys have any updates? I actually posted an update on the Peristyle about Ooh, that. I like um, it. I don't really have anything specific, but it's I don't. From what I was told, it shouldn't be like a like a concern where he could possibly miss this week. I think it's just something that was bugging him, and they just didn't want to push it anymore, so they just pulled him out, let him rest it. Yeah, he looked like he was just kind of sitting more than like. Yeah, I think it was guy. just bummed that, you know, he couldn't finish the game out, you know, just kind of yeah. his, his last game in the Coliseum, you know, he had to end it on the bench. I think he was more kind of bummed by those emotions, but I know he was happy that they, you know, they got the win. Yeah. Cameron on YouTube asks, uh, or sorry, Big T on YouTube asks, Justin D did not walk with the seniors. Is it safe to assume he will be back next year? It is not safe to assume because there's plenty of guys that do not walk with the seniors, but, uh, you know, can, uh, that don't play or you know, go off to the NFL or whatnot. You know, I think there's a good chance that he comes back, but I wouldn't say that is a locked-in decision. Yeah, I agree. All right, question. Why is Utah only favored by one or two points? over, Or why is USC only favored by one or two points over Utah? I don't know. I'm going to hammer it. Um, I did great this week in my <laughs> picks. Uh, didn't have a good Friday, but went 5-0 and yesterday against the spread. Did a parlay, taking USC – Took Utah minus 29 and a half and then uh, BYU like minus like six and a half over Stanford. So covered all those fairly easily. Uh, that was great. Um, yeah, this should not be. This is now a neutral site game. USC's playing better. Utah's not playing as good uh, as they were before. Cam Rising was outerworldly in that game. He's been hobbled somewhat since. He got, you know, he, they scored 60 or whatever against uh, Colorado because Colorado's butt, but uh, one of the worst teams around. So I would say. Yeah, if you can get it at one and a half or something, hammer that. I would, you know, I would bet. It. I'm I'm gonna look on my uh, my account and uh, put some money on that because yeah, I would take it. I would think it's more USC by like five, six, something like that is where it should be. You mentioned Stanford and Butt, so shout out to my band Butt Bandwagon <laughs> that I coined uh, last uh, Parasol podcast. Yes, I love shout it. Out to them. We're playing. Uh, playing a show. Next Got a week. show coming up. Yeah, Morongo Casino. Okay. 
I, I think, yeah, I think you're right that it should be a little bit more. And I think another piece that maybe we can get into later in the week for whatever kind of preview content we do, Lincoln Riley's track record when playing the same team for a second time in a given season is so good. He is fantastic when he gets to see uh, a team for a second time in one year. And of course, the the Utah defense didn't stop USC's offense one lick in that game. It's just the defense didn't play as well. But Lincoln Riley, as a head coach, has such a great track record when he gets to match up with a team for a second time in a given year. And so I think that's something that will go into it. Also, the neutral field. In, and even, there, even if there will be more Utah fans than USC fans in Las Vegas, the emotions that were running through Salt Lake City on that day with the, the memorial for fallen former Utah players, you had them bringing out new helmets. It was one of the biggest games for that student center in history it just was it was kind of a different feel for that game that even even you could uh, possibly develop in Las Vegas despite having more Utah fans there so I think there's a lot more factors that swing it USC's way also the fact they've got one loss and, and Utah's got three on the year yeah and Dalton Kincaid like say say Dalton Kincaid goes off for like eight catches for 150 yards that's still way less production than he had in the other game you know like that would be a huge night for him and it wouldn't even be close to what he did the first time. So I think you're just not going to see those kind of like blowout performances that you saw uh, in Salt Lake City. All right. Well, well with that, we'll say uh, from Andrew on YouTube, what is the biggest area of concern against the Utah Utes? I mean, I think stopping Duncan, like what was the worst thing last time? <laughs> I mean, probably more Cam Rising. Just, you know, is he back? Because he looked, you know, just like USC, Utah came out of the game, that game in Salt Lake City. Uh, battered, you know, just battered. And, uh, you know, USC's got some of their players back. Seems like Utah might be going the other way a little bit, but, you know, we, we've we seen, when you watched Bo Nix and Cam Rising go at it uh, when Utah was at Oregon, it just looked like two, you know, aging pri you know, prize fighters that were just past their prime kind of going at it. Like, that's the feel you got. And they just played Colorado, and they only had to play like half a game. Like, literally, they set their starters after the half. Um so I don't know if he's back back, but if he's not like Cam Rising, what we saw in the Coliseum, you know, last year back where he just goes absolutely crazy or like what we saw in Salt Lake City where he's just making every play and running for every first down and running in the two-point conversion. Like if he's not doing all that stuff, I don't think Utah's winning. So I, I'm not sure what his health is going to be, but they are going to need him to be like that. I, I just don't know what the odds are that he would be. Yeah, I mean, I would say what, you said at the top, just stopping their tight end. They're still, he's still their like number one weapon. I mean, their number one uh, running back is down. Cam Rising's banged up, as you said. They got a lot of injuries. I think their starting uh, sack leader is also out for the season. So injuries across the board for them. So locking up the guy that murdered you uh, in, in in Salt Lake City, that that's priority number one. Yeah. But Cam Rising, is, I mean, he's a warrior mm -hmm. just to see what he would, I mean, he played so well in the Coliseum last year. He played so well in Salt Lake City this year. It's, I mean, as a, a fan that loves watching Pac-12 football, it was tough to kind of see him in a couple games, you know, since he was sort of injured. You don't want to see that. You want to see him at his at his peak. And maybe he will be for this one, but I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, but even if he is, like, it's still going to be hard to repeat what he already did in Salt Lake City. And I think you're going to need another performance like that to beat the way this USC team is playing right now.
Yeah, I think it, it felt for that game, it felt like USC played a very similar game that they've played a lot of the season. And Utah played literally a, a perfect game outside of those couple drives on offense. And I think that's what it'll take for them to beat USC, especially considering the change of factors you're going to have with the field and the emotions and stuff like that. Cam Rising has, he's still got a, you know, a good arm, he's still a good passer, but he's been limited uh, when it comes to being you know a mobile quarterback in recent weeks. So we'll see how much that changes, how much Dalton Kincaid changes. But I would agree, Kincaid is probably the biggest uh the biggest worry if you're usc couple more any recruiting updates from last night i'm gonna say you should listen to the two-star podcast later this week and yes. read ghost notes on the website 75 percent off right now for membership at uscfootball.com had to get that in there one more time Thanks, Jack. another question from socal dad on youtube asks uh does austin jones return next year he has one more year but it seemed like earlier this week he might have hinted that he's not returning for usc i mean if he keeps running the way he does you know in the Pacto championship, you know, whatever bowl game they play out, you know, I think he has enough good tape to be like, hey, I, I, I can get drafted. So I, I think at the current trend that he's on, the way he's playing right now, I don't see him coming back. I mean, USC has two really good young running backs coming in in this class in 2023. And, you know, I'm sure they're going to take a peek in the portal December 5th, see who jumps in there. It's maybe be a, bring a veteran guy because if you lose Travis Dye, Austin Jones, you kind of want some more experience to kind of help a very young room. So I think at this pace, you know, I think he would be gone. But, you know, he's showing that he can be the number one guy. Mm -hmm. And if he's like, well, he got a Heisman Trophy winner back and I can be like the number one running back in this thing, like, heck, I could win the Heisman That's next true. year. That's I mean, true. there could be some thought. You know, we saw the Matt Reggie thing that happened. Like, it's hard to repeat. So Caleb wins. Even if he has a great year. You're probably not going to win it again, but if your running back goes for like 2,000 yards, like, oh, heck, you know, he could win it. So it, there's some, you know, different, it, I don't know, I'm not sure what he really wants to do. Smart kid, obviously, went to Stanford, you know, before he came to USC. Um, but yeah, he, he could look at it that way and say, hey, I could be the number one guy if I come back. All right, before we get to the final question, this one's from Cameron. What is Chris's order at Whataburger? Oh. Oh. Uh, I don't know, like, the number off the top of my head. I just get, like, the double Whataburger, whatever, bacon Whataburger, whatever. Bacon? Okay. Yeah. Are you, like, a fries person, milk? Yeah, person? I mean, they're <laughs> putting me on the spot here. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, gotta, I love the fries better than In-N-Out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't usually do a shake. I just get a nice uh, I love shakes. I know you do, Ryan. I've been on multiple road trips. <laughs> we'll probably get one on the way to Vegas. But, yeah, just, like, a double-double, yes. like, a... Sorry, not a double-double, but a double <laughs> burger uh, with bacon and cheese. Don't say anything. Uh, but, yeah, I don't have the number, like the number six. I don't know. Yeah. All right, the last question from Andrew. Will the Pac-12 refs play a deciding role on Friday night? And, again, for the couple straight weeks in a row, I'm going to give some credit to the Pac-12 refs. I thought that they've been pretty good since – my guess is the Arizona game. I think since the Arizona game where you had all the clock mix-ups and it really seemed like the Pac-12 came down pretty hard on them behind the scenes. They didn't do anything publicly, but it seemed like they really wanted to shore, shore up refereeing. And I think they've done a pretty good job of that in recent weeks. They've gotten the reviews right. They haven't thrown too many flags. They've let the players play. They've had some good spots. The clock management hasn't been an issue. So I'll give some credit to the Pac-12 officiating. Then again, we've seen what it's been in the past, so I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to be hesitant to say that it won't, you know, rear its ugly head on Friday night, but I think they do deserve some credit in recent weeks. Wasn't there a snafu 
on Saturday? Uh, there was, well, there was a Friday one in the Cal UCLA game that was pretty bad, but that was Michael Mothershed, the one that did the USC Utah game, uh. and it was announced on the broadcast that he's retiring. Oh, um, so it's his la that was his last game. So you don't have to worry about that crew working <laughs> the uh, Pac-12 championship game. I mean, they wouldn't have been graded high enough to do that. Yeah, there was a the Cal game. I think it was UCLA had like a third and or they 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 pick up what looked like was going to be a first down. The, and it, they they move the spot back like a yard, and they say it's third and one or something instead of should have been first down. Chip Kelly gets up. They run a play like a two-yard just like dive play, pick up the first down. But like, oh, no, wait, you already had the first down. Yeah. And there were thoughts of doing making it now be second and eight because they were like, you thought you were third and one, and you just picked up the first down. But nope, that was first down, and you just picked up two yards. And they ended up like basically erasing the two-yard run. And it was like a, it was a mess. Like they've – they screwed up a bunch of stuff in that game. But for the most part, like Jack said, I think they've done a better job. All it is about, just like, don't dominate the game. Don't over-explain everything. Don't throw too many flags that you have to, like, go back and reverse and call targeting everything and then take no targeting. And they let players play more. And then sometimes you're like, oh, there was a hole here, there was a hole there. Like, I'd much rather see that. Just let them guys play then and call the obvious stuff than calling everything. And then you, it kind of, you know, it's a glaring weakness. But for, you know, for I think for the Pac-12, they want to try to get this right, um, and if anything, they would rat. They don't want to hurt USC in this one because this is your you know you, the Pac-12 hasn't been in the playoffs since 2016, back when Washington won when USC went to the Rose Bowl. That was you know because Washington went to the playoff, get spanked, but when you know and, and USC goes to the Rose Bowl, that's the last time the Pac-12 made it. So if anything, they don't want to like put any sort of boundary or you know. Um, Road, you know, road bumps or whatever, speed bumps before USC going to the Pac-12, uh, you know, going to the college football playoff. So I don't, I don't think the referee is going to play a big part. You know, incompetence can definitely rear its ugly head because that's what it's the Pac-12. But I don't think there's going to be any sort of like effort or whatever to like, you know, oh, we want to help Utah win or anything like that. I don't think there ever was anything like that. I think it's always just been incompetence, just to be clear. But I don't think you're going to see anything. They've, they've seemed like they're trying to call less stuff, which is that's what you want. Yeah, I think I definitely agree. And we're going to have content all over the website here on YouTube as well. Coming up to this week, USC will be the only game, uh, the only conference title game that really matters on Friday night. It'll be a big game, 5 o'clock, I believe, on Fox in Las Vegas. We hope you guys are able to get out to the game or at least tune in and watch on TV. Make sure you guys are following along to everything that we put out. And as Ryan mentioned, it's only going to be around for a little bit lo while longer, but 75% off if you go sign up for a membership on the website right now. Make sure you do it. Tons of good content that make it worth your while. And if you're going to be in Vegas on Thursday night, we're going to do a little meetup uh, Thursday night. I'll put more stuff on uscfootball.com and on our, our Twitter, uh, on the tweets. I know Chris wants to meet everyone, so get out there. Park MGM at the uh, MGM Sportsbook. We'll meet there. Did that last year during the basketball tournament. Met some people. It was a lot of fun. So we'll do it there Thursday night, Park MGM, uh, at the, the MGM Sportsbook uh, Bar and Grill. I just want someone to teach me how to play craps. I can do that. And blackjack, not besides Riot. He's too intense. <laughs> be too intense. All right. It's a lot of fun. It's a group game. Yeah, okay. Well, a couple need, years when Jack's of age, we can teach him too. <laughs> yeah, yeah 10 years go. we can teach him. <laughs> That's all we've got for you guys today. Thank you guys for tuning in. Could be a record-setting tunnel vision tonight. We'll see uh, what the stats look like, but a thousand people in here at one time. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and joining us on your Sunday night. Enjoy the rest of it. Enjoy your week this week, and hopefully we'll see you out in Vegas on Friday. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you later this week. 
CBS Tonight, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale tonight, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.